Welcome to Big Men Big Theology. I'm Cody. I'm Jordan. And I am Trey. Welcome what? back, Cody Blow. Whoop, 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 whoop. Cody back. Blow. We are. It's, it is it is the big three, or the big yeah. two and the and the, and the and the one who's in shape, bump, Cody. Bump, what's the point podcast for still and <laughs> Cody for a couple episodes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, buddy. Yeah. It wasn't something. It's okay. We understand. They're they cooler invited, than us. They just invited me over. They're cooler. They and... smoke cigars every time they meet. Yeah. We just meet in a theological library. But it's okay. They're skinnier. They're they're in better shape. Hunter's got a cool beard too, I guess. Man. Yeah. It's okay. I understand. But it's but we're glad to have you back, Cody. I'm glad to be back. Man. I'd, I'd much rather be back than be there. Awesome. Oh, man. Wow. That makes me feel good because you right. are a big man. Actually, sorry, you are a big theology. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A lot of people have been asking us, Well, Cody's not a big man, why does he count? And we say, Well, he's the big theology. And so That's true. I, I wish I I'm like I'm like medium theology. But to be fair, there's a lot more big theology than just me here. And so... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, we're also not. big time in the sense that we're using two mics right now. Is, we are. Is, and we're smoking cigars. It's we're, crazy. Yeah we, have, yeah, we have a couple we're of cigars. We're using Christian liberty as we talked we about are. last time. That's right. But we're not going to flaunt it. We're going to partake. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Cody, speak. Pull, pull your mic closer to you because it's, it's not picking you up very well. Awesome. Thank you. But, uh, Guys, what are we going to talk about tonight? By the way, it's going to get annoying. I just want you to know, Cody, he's he's very touchy about this mic situation. I just want us to be, I just want the best recording possible. Okay, let's sorry. do it. Okay, yeah, let's do it. So I'm, we're going to have, we're gonna have a great recording about eschatology tonight. Esca, in, that is a, end times. Esca, that's end a big times. word, Cody. Yeah. Dr. Float, will, will you tell us what that means? <laughs> so, it's, right, as Jordan said, it's the doctrine of the last times, <laughs> or, um... I would also, I would, I guess, prefer to frame it the doctrine of the last days. Yeah. Because last days is the more, like, biblical phrase you right. see in the New Testament. You know, these are the last days. And so, um, it's, yeah, what we believe about, I would say, everything in between the ascension of Christ and his return. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, so, to, to give us groundwork, then, let's, let's, let's do this. Because there are, there are multiple different views of, of end time theology. Uh, and so let's go through the different views. I'll say we go through the big three and we'll throw, we'll throw dispensationalism in, in there just, just because, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about them. And by that, I mean, we'll let Cody explain it. And then me and Jordan might be able to throw in our opinions. <laughs> we'll see. Jordan probably knows more about this than I do too. Um, so, but so the, I tell the you, Trey, Trey just immediately assumes I don't know anything. I know that you know stuff. <laughs> I'm saying I know that you, you know. You guys stuff. are way more theological minds than what you give yourselves credit for. However, well, however, I do want to say this before before we go into this. Cody is currently teaching through Revelation, and he's teaching from it. From what view are you teaching from? It? I am all millennial, or a fancier way of putting it. I'm teaching Revelation from the standpoint of the redemptive historical idealist position. Man. Meaning essentially that the book of Revelation is about um, the history of the church, really. Okay. uh, From the ascension of Christ to his return. 
uh, not in some chronological way. So some would interpret Revelation being strictly chronological. And so they would say that the beginning of Revelation is obviously the early church, and then it moves into the Middle Ages, and then as you go through the Reformation, and then to now. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, that's not the worst reading of Revelation in the world, but I think it's pretty difficult to okay. pinpoint particular moments of time. It is. Well, then let's, yeah. then let's do this. Let's, let's go view by view, and we'll start, since Cody's in amillennialism right now, and he's, I would say that's, that's the view I hold to as well, as amillennial. I'm, but, like, but when somebody asks me, I say, today I'm an amillennial, <laughs> because I, just, I, haven't, I haven't studied enough on this. I'm not going to um, make the corny joke. That's fine. People make a corny joke. My dad always says he's a pan millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. There you go. Don't worry (laughs) about it. You don't have to worry about Revelation. He'll just work it. You can sum up Revelation in two words. Jesus wins. And so (laughs) Road Tide (laughs) All right, so it is true. So well yes, it it is it is very true, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. And so we will uh, let's start we'll go with amillennialism and then we'll go to post millennialism. And then we'll go to historic pre-mill. And then if we have time, we may touch dispensationalism, if it's even worth it. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, Cody, lead us off into amillennialism. What, what does that even mean? So amillennialism <coughs> is speaking particularly. So the, the various millennial views, the major views we're talking about, all right. have to do with the millennium. Right. Particularly Revelation, Revelation 20, chapter right? 20, the first six verses of Revelation 20. And so amillennialism, uh is kind of the prefix for without, uh, even though that's not necessarily the best word for it because we're, we're not without a millennium. But uh, I would just argue that the millennium is primarily a spiritual reality that is now. Yeah. So we are living in this church age in the in the period of the like victory of Christ, yeah. right? Yeah. So Christ is ruling and reigning now as king yeah. over his kingdom. But it is primarily in the hearts of his people. And Man, so, well, sure, it sure doesn't seem like that, Cody. I mean, let me let me ask you. It seems it seems like there's still a lot of sin on, on the right. world right now. How can how can yeah? There's a lot of suffering. How can how can Jesus is uh, rolling and raining right now? We're gonna play devil's advocate, even though we know how I mean, these Donald are answered. Trump's president, Cody. I mean, yeah. what the <laughs> <laughs> so that's the importance of really though, kind of the framework of the New Testament at large, the already not yet distinction. Okay. So Christ is already ruling and reigning over his kingdom in the hearts of his people. But there's also the reality that his kingdom is yet to be fully consummated yeah. in its physicality. Right. Right. So in the new heavens and new earth, Christ's kingdom will be physical on earth. Right. right? That's not the case now. Mm-hmm. Christ's kingdom is primarily spiritual, though there's obviously physical manifestations in the local church. Right? Would, the right. Amil, would the Amil have a tribulation in their view? The church age is the tribulation. Yeah, and so and and yeah, and that, and when did when did that happen? Uh, well, tribulation has been happening since the beginning of history. That's yeah. right. But um, the church age happened. The way, but yeah, did something but, happen in in seventy A.D.? Well, the Jerusalem fell right. to Rome, uh, which is important, but yet not necessarily crucial to millennial theology. And so it's important in that that really kind of is a hinge point in God is very clearly making himself known that um, physical national Israel is not in its entirety, right, the true people of God. Right. Because they're, 
the fall of 70 AD is a judgment upon them yeah. for their ultimately their refusal to repent and believe in Christ the Messiah. Yeah. So and tell me if I'm wrong like the mark of the beast that was referred to in the Old Testament was actually the paperwork that was given out in 70 AD, correct? I mean, or am I, am, am I missing that? I, I remember hearing that, that there was some type of paperwork you had to, essentially you were signing yourself away to Nero, who was an antichrist. Yeah, I don't know history well enough to say that for a fact, though I would say that is not a good interpretation of what yeah. the mark of the beast is in <laughs> Revelation. Right. The uh, So I think, too, because a, a lot of people like to bring up you know, well, there is a lot of sin and stuff, but we have to realize that that the millennium, when it's used in the in in Revelation, is not speaking of a literal thousand years. This yeah. is it's just an extended period of time. It's a long period of time. Yeah. So, and we have to know when that millennium was inaugurated or when it happened is when it says when Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Is Christ not now sitting well, at the right? Ascension. Well, yeah, Sorry. and when, but when He ascended, He then sat he at sat. the right hand of the Father, and yeah. we know that that He is currently doing that. Exactly. And so, like, how can we how can we deny yeah. that 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 we are not in that time now? That Christ is not ruling and reigning now. Yeah. Precisely. Can I ask another question? So, when when the new heavens and the new earth come, what does what's the so is everything finished then for the Amil? Is that is that when so the new heavens new earth, there so we're com- everybody's that's the culmination of judgment day correct yeah it's the culmination of history right yeah. and mm. and the judgment of the unbelieving, the dissolution of the old fallen sinful creation, and the new creation, that is being fully consummated yeah. right there's obviously we are now new creations in right. Christ, but that's going to be fully consummated and physically realized in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, yeah, so once Christ does that, there's not going to be any more period of tribulation or, yeah, there's going to be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. So what does the what does the timeline look like for an amillennial? So start starting at when Jesus coming back, Cody. Starting st- starting Whenever at the, he chooses go to, to go to cru- start at crucifixion and then and then go forward for me. Yeah, so Christ is crucified. He's in the ground mm-hmm. uh, for three days, um, experiencing death and the curse on behalf of his elect people then rises from the grave showing the father's really the vindication that the father approves of his his atoning work um, and the redemption of his people and then Christ ascends right to the father and is now as we mentioned sitting at the right hand of God which is the position of power that's the importance of the right hand not only in scripture, but really in history. Like in ancient Near Eastern culture, the right hand is the hand of power. And so he is sitting at the right hand of God, yet he is also ruling over um, his kingdom in the hearts of his people. And his kingdom expands now in this age, not through physical conquest, but through the conversion of sinners from death to life. Amen. So how do you deal with the passages um, regarding Israel of the 144,000? Yeah. Yeah, so how do you deal with that? Yeah, so it's helpful whenever you're talking about Revelation to also, you have to begin the conversation by, by talking about genre. So what genre of literature are we dealing with, right? Scripture's a book. And so Revelation is largely 
Um, though it's it's mixed with several different genres, but is largely what we would call apocalyptic poetry, or just poetry about the apocalypse, the right. end. And the the particular focus on poetry and visions, right, informs helps inform how we interpret the book. So I would argue because it is apocalyptic poetry, we do not interpret, for instance, the numbers in Revelation literally. Yeah. Right. Hmm. The numbers that are used all throughout the book are symbolic, and they're they're figurative to there speaking will be a great of a reality. Yeah. Of so what's true of Revelation seven? Yeah. So what's true of Revelation seven, with there being one hundred and forty-four thousand of Israel, so to speak. Yeah. Um, coming into the um, standing really before the throne of God in worship is the same reality we see in, um, or it's the culmination of the reality we see in Revelation 4 and 5, of Hmm. a great multitude beyond number um, before the throne. And so the number 12 in Revelation and I would argue in the Old Testament and, and, in and, the New Testament. and in the New Testament is a number of completion, just like the number seven or the number right. four, right? There's numerous numbers for completion in Scripture. And so when Revelation 7 speaks... Not six, though. No. No. When the... Here's, here's a piece for you, though. Let's, <laughs> let's, let me talk about this for one second. So I took a... For my seminary class, I actually took a, um, te- a New Testament textual criticism class and went up to campus for it. And um, James White was teaching the class... Um, regardless on your feelings with James White, I don't know. But it was still very interesting I love you, James, because... James, if you ever listen to us. <laughs> I seriously doubt James White is listening to our podcast. you find time to listen to the big men. But did you know that there's the oldest records of the book of Revelation say that the mark of the beast, or, or that the, the number is actually 616. That our, our yeah. oldest records show 616, not actually 666. So that could actually be the real number. So we don't know. Oh, shoot. So, sorry, facts. go ahead. Fun fact with Trey. So, yeah, so numbers are symbolic. And so when Revelation 7 talks about 144,000, I would argue that's talking about the bringing in of the full and complete people of God, right, of every tribe, tongue, and nation, both Jews and Gentiles. And so when you see, in, in order, also, I would also say not only do you need genre to interpret Revelation correctly, but you need a right biblical theology. And covenant theology. Yeah. You need to be able to understand the purpose of Israel in order to rightly read the book of Revelation. And so if you think that there is indeed a future for national Israel as a political entity, then you're, I would argue you're not going to interpret Revelation 7 correctly. Right. Um, because you've largely missed the point of a lot of the language about Israel in the, in the, New, in the New Testament. Yeah, about who right? Israel is. So Paul says, right, in Romans, not all Israel is Israel. Right. By that, he means not all ethnic national Israel is actual, real, genuine, true Israel of yeah. God. Because, same because same with the church. Because we are Israel now. We are we are in Christ. Yeah, exactly. We are Israel. Which is what John is... Not to say that we're Jews. Which is what John is seeing in Revelation 7. He's seeing the fullness of the people of God, the Israel of God, the chosen one of God, um, at the end of time, right, coming into worship before the throne. Yeah. And so numbers are crucial to understanding Revelation rightly and understanding your various millennial view. Because... Yeah. 
though all three views in some regards would might be able to in pockets interpret revelation 20 in regards to the thousand years the same they would i think there are some across all three who would say it's primarily symbolic right they're historic premillennialists who would agree with oh Wait, never mind. Scratch that. Yeah, I'm about to say. Sorry. Yeah, the post-millennial would agree. The post-millennial, yeah, would agree. And so um, all that to say, numbers are important. You ought to understand them. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to the second view. Let's move on to the view of of Jonathan Edwards, which would have been post-millennialism, which is, okay, I know I've, I've said this before. A part of me wishes that I could fully understand and hold to myself the post-millennial view because the implications of the post-millennial view is that at some point in the future like the majority of the earth will be believing and trusting in Jesus yep I man I don't I don't but the thing is I don't see any evidence of that in scripture and so that's that's I, man I, I I hope that I'm wrong and that that view is true in in that sense um but yeah, do you anybody want to talk more more on it? Actually, give a layout of it? because yeah. I, I don't think I could give an actual excursus. So post millennialism, post meaning after, right? So the mm-hmm. millennium has happened. Yeah. Um, already, and we're living post millennium, in the age in which the kingdom of Christ will expand physically upon the earth. Now, good post millennialists would say mm-hmm. that's not through physical conquest, right? They're, we're right. not. They're not arguing for the Crusades. But they are arguing, just as you said, that eventually there will be a day where every person on the earth is going to be a believer in Christ. And there's a huge connection point, I'd also argue, between paedo-baptism and postmillennialism. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the vast majority of postmillennialists you'll, you'll find out in the world are paedo-baptist. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, I mean, it's, it's logically implied, I think, to a degree— if you believe that you just simply bearing children is bringing those then children into the actual kingdom covenant. of God, yeah. the covenant community, then you can very much so visualize a moment where every family and, but, but let's, is let's in the kingdom to, of God on let's earth. Let's be clear on that, too. Not all paedo-baptists would say that their children are coming into the covenant family by their baptism. No. So they would argue there are essentially two covenant families. There's right. the true spiritual covenant family right. and then the physical covenant family. Though they would still argue that their child is a part of the physical, visible until kingdom of God otherwise. until they prove otherwise. otherwise. Yeah. But there are a few. <coughs> we, we do have a few Baptist brothers who, who hold that view. Um, Inconsistently, uh, yes. Yeah. So the, the guy, the cats over at uh, Apologia Church uh, do that. Jeff Durbin, some of those guys hold yep. to it and everything and they're dear brothers you know yeah. this is definitely something we can disagree on and sure and i think it's fine i love when trey says and they're they're dear brothers they're i just want to make sure because, because because i don't want to i don't want to sound divisive they are dear brothers who are wrong yes. so, <laughs> <laughs> um, now james white who's a pastor there now is he's he's on millennial he's he's not true so. and it's also helpful to like and if, if you notice too that um being postmillennial also affects the way you think about the current debate about justice. Yeah. I would also say hmm. that's a episode, it to episode for another day. <laughs> but <laughs> always looping it back. Um, <laughs> always trying to bring up justice somewhere. So yeah, postmillennialism, <laughs> right? God's kingdom is physically expanding over the earth, and there will be a day in which 
um, all people will be believers, and it is at that moment where God, where Christ will then make all things new. Man, I, there's a there, there there is really a beautiful like imagery there. It like, is. It's a it's a happy eschatology. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and, and to be honest, if I held that view, I'd be like, I hold the same view as Jonathan Edwards. My argument is over. <laughs> but but I do think that culture played a role into Jonathan Edwards' view on that. Um, yeah. Look, like looking around his surroundings, he's in a new land. He's, he was in a very, in a lot seeing, of ways. He's seeing faith flourish. Yeah, he was in a very pagan land, right, with kind of native religions around him. And he was seeing those people come to Christ. Yeah. And he was seeing um, even what he would call, I guess, Antichrist, fall yeah. down, being Rome, <laughs> is what Jonathan Edwards would say, um, that he was seeing those structures beginning to lose power in the world. And so he, he saw that as really the fulfillment in his eyes of revelation in that these things are beginning to crumble and fall and the kingdom of God is growing. You yeah. may not know this, but I'm going to ask a question. Anyways, uh, historically, would we see... Historically, would we see what? What would we see historically, like from the Protestant Reformation forward, like different uh, uh, divergence of millennial views? views? Yeah. So there's always been, I would say, there's always been a divergence of views. Yeah. And so there have been premillennialist for a long time. Right. Uh, historic premillennialist, you have to diverge. Uh, historic premillennialist, not dispensationalist. But um, we're going to get there in a second. Yeah. yeah. There have been all millennialist and then post millennialist. And so and again, that speaks, I think, to the reality that this is kind of like a third order issue. Yeah. There's and we across even see the history in the of the great church. confessions of faith like they don't even really touch it. No, they they leave it pretty open. Yeah. Um, now, uh, some of the confessions will kind of like allude to where the writers stand. Mm-hmm. But um they largely leave that open for conscience. Right. Yeah. Even Calvin, when he was doing his commentary, uh, the only book of the Bible he didn't do a commentary on was Revelation. It's only one. He just, I don't, I don't know his thought behind it um, as to why he decided not to that. I, I assume he, there was some understanding of this is just, there's just too much in here to try to unpack. He also kicked the bucket relatively early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think he would have gotten to it had he lived longer. Okay. Well, I, um, I never thought about that. Yeah, so let's move. Uh, let's, uh, so let's go ahead and talk about historic pre mill too. Yeah, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Okay. By so why, why we? Because this this is where in the reform camp, like reform Baptist camp, we see mainly historic pre mill and a mill. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think um, the move to historic pre mill is actually a little bit easier to go to because a lot of people coming into the reform Baptist world, at least in America, are coming from a dispensational view beforehand yeah um for, for the most part if, if you weren't born into reformed theology um you were more than likely coming into it from a dispensational like camp yeah. and um because I, I mean i knew that was definitely the case with me and when i first came into it, historic pre-mill sounded well this is close enough to my view but it's but still different enough um so or actually i mean our our senior pastor at our church holds to historic pre-mill Yep. Um, and he's and he's he, he could be wrong too. He he could be wrong. We could be wrong. I mean, I think we have a lot. I mean, again, like on our pastor body, we see all There's like diversity. Yeah, diversity, yeah. and I think I think there is some fun with that. That it opens the door for fun uh, conversations. But 
So, um, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Give us a layout of historic pre-mill, Cody. Yeah, we'll let Cody do it. So historic premillennialism, <laughs> I think, attracts a lot of people out of dispensationalism because it allows you to keep your thoughts on particularly the millennium, but it then allows you to, I would argue, interpret Revelation a little bit more faithfully. And so many dispensationalists, not dispensationalists, historic pre-mill guys would, in a lot of ways, interpret Revelation up through Revelation 20 fairly similarly to all-mill all people. Yeah. And so they would understand, as I would, um, Revelation 6 to 19 being cyclical, meaning that all of these various visions of seals and trumpets and dragons and all this that and the other— they're all various ways of talking about the same reality, mm-hmm. which is the history of God's new covenant people until uh, Christ returns. Now, that's where we would diverge, and historic premillennialists would argue that he returns in order to consummate his millennial kingdom, and that he, he will rule for 1,000 years. A literal 1,000 years. A literal 1,000 years before judging the earth for a second time, which I would argue is a huge inconsistency. Not only that, but also the whole, let's interpret most of Revelation symbolically, and then once we hit 20, let's just make it literal all of a sudden. But And also, something that historic pre-mill do that I think is fascinating is that they believe in a post-tribulation rapture. So they believe that we will go through a literal seven years of tribulation, then there will be a rapture. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty big move from the dispensational camp yeah. to say it's a pre-trib. Yeah, and there rapture. are some who don't really put a whole lot of emphasis on the seven years. They say, yeah, we're just going to experience tribulation and God's going to rapture us. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, so let me ask a couple questions, too. So in terms of Satan and these views. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Man. What's the um, what's the view on bond, the bonding of Satan for these views and then him being released after that? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so... I'll just let you guys have fun with that. Historic <laughs> premillennialists would argue that Satan is now not bound, that he's free to roam the earth unbound, um, tempting and causing humanity to fall in whatever ways he deems fit, under the providence of God, obviously. Uh, all millennialists would argue that the work of Christ is what bound Satan, that the idea, the imagery of him being thrown into prison is figurative for saying that Christ in the God, that Satan in Satan in the gospel has been dealt the death blow, that he is in a sense bleeding out. Um, his head has been crushed, yet he's at the moment obviously not dead, nor will he be dead. I would argue in the I mean, future. And he still has. He, he still and has, he still has. He still has the ability. God has given <coughs> him the the under his. World. Sovereign providence, God is allowing Satan to right. roam around, though chained, in the ability of what he's able to do, because God's kingdom will win, and mm-hmm. that victory has already been achieved in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so um, he is bound in that way, though he still has real power in the world. And that right there is one of the reasons I was sold on Amil. Yeah. What you just explained. Um, it, it just gives such a triumphal picture of, yeah, of the work of Christ on the cross. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, because look at Genesis three fifteen, like like you like you will you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Like yeah. Satan has been dealt the death blow. 
Yeah. And and I, I fully believe that. And it's, and I think Bodie Bauckham brings up because he's a non-millennial, because um, he talks about Satan being bound. It does not mean that Satan, the millennial does not believe that Satan is bound to to not do anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean that he just can't that he's locked away. Yeah. It means that he he is locked away insofar as to deceive the nations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so God's God's kingdom will be victorious. Though this is where all millennialist and postmillennialist diverge. The manner in which His kingdom is victorious in this age is different. So, the kingdom, and I mentioned this before, the kingdom of Christ in this age is primarily a spiritual reality in the hearts of His people, though manifested physically in local churches. Like we attest physically to what is we believe is true spiritually. Right? We see that in membership, discipline, all of that. And so, um, whereas the postmillennialists would argue that no, um, there will be a, there is now, and there is going to be a real, more physical manifestation of the kingdom expanding upon the earth. So, hmm. man, these are fascinating. Do we want to? Do we want to touch dispensationalism? It's okay if not. I don't. Uh, it's not going to so kill me. So dispensationalism, though, has to be. So if we touch dispensationalism, just to give you a. Uh, you can lay it out probably better than me, but in order to touch dispensationalism, you have to look at the entirety of the Bible um, and know how God is working during different time periods, different uh, dispensations of time. Uh, that's where that na- that's where the name comes. He works differently in different dispensations. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm happy to go there if you want to go there. In yeah. terms of Another name for it is replacement theology. It's a very they don't literal, like it. They don't like it when you say that. Yeah, that they have the most literal reading of the text. Um, yeah, by in far. In terms of Revelation, um, so I think yeah, and I know. think it's helpful. I don't know if I want to dive too far into dispensationalism, but um, it is helpful at at this point to differentiate dispensationalism from historic premillennialism. Yeah. So dispensationalism dispensationalism is technically, though not fully, uh, a new thing. Um, I'd say not fully because one could argue that Marcion could be kind of a proto-dispensationalist in his disavowal of the Old Testament and saying that, no, we only need the New Testament, the Old Testament's junk, different God. That's almost what dispensationalists, or at least classic dispensationalists, were saying. They were arguing that God worked differently in the Old Testament, even as far as saying, and this is why classic dispensationalists would be deemed heretical. Right. Is they argue that Christ, that not Christ, but God did save by works in the Old Testament. That Israel was spiritually saved via their works, and their failure, right, their exile, all of that judgment, led then to God, then starting a new plan yep. in Christ, where people are saved by grace. Mm-hmm. Um, now That's again, it said, didn't work out in the Old Testament, so now we gotta get this whole grace. Right, thing. so there's a whole host <laughs> of really terrible implications about yeah. doctrine of God, of Christ, of really, really everything yeah. in uh, dispensationalism. The yeah, so we have an episode earlier on. It's not great sound quality, but we encourage you to go listen to it. It's called Covenant Theology, and so we actually. Me and John English talk about some of the differences between covenant theology and dispensationalism in there. So yep. if you want to learn more about where we stand on how we read the entirety of God's word, yeah. yep. um, go back and listen to that episode on covenant theology. Yeah, because yeah, covenant theology really is key to your eschatology. Yeah, uh, it's definitely. Yeah, Man, so that's awesome. 
It's yeah. it's so true yeah. because we we do see victory in Christ, but we also yeah. in terms of being Amil, we see victory in Christ that's coming that has already come. Um, we see our sin nature. We see how depraved we are. We know that there's a ruler coming who will come and deliver us from this sinful world. Ultimately, mm-hmm. um, we don't. We we are looking eagerly for the judgment day. Um, it's it's constantly on our minds. Uh, like Paul says in second, he says it elsewhere, but in Second Timothy three, he's like the last days are at hand. Beware of all these sins that are going to be amplified. So we're constantly yeah. being told and being told, b- being made aware that sin is rampant, but there is a coming King and mm. coming Messiah again, Amen. and a second coming that yeah. will deliver yeah. us from this. Yeah, um, and to kind of bring it out of the clouds a little bit and more into practicalities, the reason why I am a convinced amillennialist is because I believe it does the most justice to what we see in Second Timothy. 316 yeah that all scripture is god breathed and profitable for teaching reproof rebuke correction training in righteousness Um, many people interpret revelation as if it's not applicable yeah as if there's not really a practical application outside of how i think about the end and that's just really it's terrible and it's really disheartening because God breathed revelation out through John mm. for the edification of his people now. Amen. Right? Not even just now as in we may be in the end, yeah. but God's been building up his kingdom through revelation since the early church. Yeah. And that book was for the early church just as much as it is for us. Mm. And um, and that's why I'm just not on board with premillennialism because I th- do not think it does enough justice to that reality. Yeah. And yeah, they would they would have practical applications, and I don't want to deny that. But I think amillennialism um, does the best job of having a holistic framework about how does this book really apply to my life and seeing it as really about my life. Like the vast majority of the content of the visions that John is receiving is about what the church is experiencing in this new covenant age and how that's going to edify my heart. Not because I'm like, I'm like, yippee, we're going to experience horrible things. But no, I get to, in, I, I, I can endure and I will be preserved through all of those mm. trials and tribulations and sufferings because Christ is victorious. Amen. Um, we intentionally awesome. made this the Cody show tonight because he's been <laughs> absent from us going to What's the Point podcast. Don't, stop. Don't listen to them. They're not that great. No, listen, <laughs> um, listen to What's the Point. They are some, they're great guys. I was going to also say, like, if you if you really don't have a church home and you listen to our, and you're interested in subjects like this, Cody teaches every Sunday morning at 930 uh, Sunday school and he's going through Revelation. So I would encourage you. If you need a church home, if you want to come study God's word more in depth, uh, our church is definitely a, a, a healthy place for that. More yeah. of you, we'd love to have you, and uh, we we go through these subjects a lot. Yeah. So we talk talk about these things a lot. So. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we were all able to be here tonight. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can email us at bmbt689 at gmail.com, and yeah, what well, else? Worry, we're asked. Hey, also, also, we're gonna be uh, look forward to uh, a giveaway potentially in the future. Yeah, uh, 
so we want you to like share comment on our posts um, we're gonna we're so get used to doing that and yeah. if you actually do that we're, we're actually gonna start sending uh, you stuff here's some good news we're about to start selling merch we got t-shirts on the way we got t-shirts on the way thanks to our buddy robert garner thanks, thank you robert. robert yeah buddy yeah. we had him on the last episode uh he is he has been very kind to get that set up we'll be selling out through amazon yeah i think the link will be up uh probably when this podcast comes out next tuesday so yeah something like that well yeah. awesome yeah thanks for tuning in guys talk to y'all next week